0: morning, church. It's good to be in worship together. It's good to sing songs of praise to our Lord who deserves every word of it. And this morning, we are concluding our series on death, and it's okay to applaud this morning about that. We're ready to move on to resurrection, aren't we? But there's one more Sunday, and I'm excited about the message I get to share with you uh, this morning, but I want to have one more reminder about Easter and what's coming up uh, next week, just to remind you of kind of the schedule. If you're used to coming to our instrumental service at eleven, that'll remain the same. But we have an eight o'clock service, uh, a nine fifteen service, and an eleven o'clock service. Uh, the first two will be a cappella, and the eleven o'clock will be instrumental. Uh, want to make sure that you know about those times, and also that you'll pass uh, these times on to others that you want to invite this coming week. A lot of people are looking for a place to worship on Easter Sunday. And uh, in fact, you'll be receiving a, a video uh, tomorrow to be able to send that out if you're on our email list, or you'll see that on Facebook if you uh, have liked uh, our, our church, and you'll be able to share that with friends. And so we want to make it as easy as we can on you to invite others. And uh, anyway, I'm excited about what gets to come next week. There won't be any child care in the 8 o'clock service. There will be in the second two. Our, our children's worship like we've had. And I'm grateful for all the volunteers who are doing so much to make that happen. Uh, And we invite you to come to one of those services next week, but also uh, to serve at one. Serve one, attend one. We want to ask you to do. And so uh, figure out which of those services is best and find a place you can serve. You can go online and figure out uh, how to sign up to serve in uh, greeting ministry in other areas. Uh, But again, we're excited about next Sunday and all the people that will be on our campus uh, ready to worship God together. Let's open with prayer this morning, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, uh, we call you Father because we're your kids and you've made us your kids through uh, the creation that you've created. You've made us in your image. We are your sons and we are your daughters. And we are grateful that you never let go of us. We're grateful that you have been with us since day one, since the first breath of life that we breathed on this earth to today. You've been present. You've been a constant. So we give thanks for that. And God, this morning as we talk about uh, death, and we talk about the cross, as we think about Palm Sunday, uh, we just ask that that same sacrifice that saved us so many years ago would be uh, a saving presence for us this morning, that we'd be reminded of what the cross did in our lives to defeat death, and uh, that we're called to pick up the cross as well in our own lives. God, I, I pray that your presence would be here in a, a, a tangible way this morning, that we would sense your presence, and that your spirit would speak. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching. So that Christ would be formed in hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, today I want to talk about six things with you, okay? The first is the number one question we ask in suffering. Second thing is I want to talk about the book of Job. Third thing is turkey water. The third thing is sitting Shiva. And then the first Bible verse you memorize and the two most powerful words in the English language. So first, the number one question we ask in suffering. I've only been in ministry for about a decade now, but I've, I've I've been with enough people in tragedy and difficulty and around caskets that I realize that suffering brings one particular question to our lives above any other question. And that question is the question: Why? Why? God, what are you up to? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? When I have suffering happen in my life or pain, this is the question I tend to ask first as well. It's a natural question that we're prompted to ask. Surely you've asked this question as well. What we're looking for is an explanation. We're looking for an explanation that would describe why is this happening, and if we had some kind of reason for our suffering, then maybe we could find some meaning in it. Or maybe if we learned why suffering happened, we could control the situation the next time around. We think that somehow an explanation, an answer to the why question, benefits us in a major way. And when it comes to the story about Jesus on the cross, that question comes up uh, for me. I don't know about you. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did the, the, the only person who's ever lived an innocent life, why was he the one who had to go and pay the price for the rest of us who should have ended up in punishment for our sins? Because Jesus didn't deserve death. He was innocent. And anytime the innocent suffer, I don't know about you, there's a question that I, I, I tend to ask, and it starts with why, but it's why do bad things happen to good people? And if there was any question that's probably the most troubling question that people ask when they come to doubt in their relationship with God, this, this is the one. What is it about suffering in our lives? Why, what, what is it about bad things happening to good people that prompt us to ask this question and lead us, in many cases, to doubt who God is and if He's good at all? And what's interesting is uh, the oldest book that many scholars believe in Scripture actually attempts to answer this very question, or at least dwell on this very question. Now, most of us would assume Genesis is the oldest book because. Well, it's the first book we read in Scripture. But, but most many scholars would say, actually, it's the book of Job that would have been the first book that would have been written. And the main question involved in this book, the book of Job, is the question about suffering. Job is this blameless man, and he's got all this trouble that's going on in his life. It seems like he's being punished in some way for what's going on. And Job knows suffering. He doesn't know why. And a lot of us find ourselves in, in that place. Job nearly lost everything in his life. He lost his, his health, he lost his children, he lost all of his wealth, he lost everything that he had except for his wife, whose encouragement was to him, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? So what he had left wasn't even all that helpful, at least in this circumstance. Maybe some of you can a- appreciate Job's story because some of you have walked through some difficulty. And you know that passage that says that God will never give you anything beyond what you can bear, but sometimes it feels like there's too much in this season. Beyond what I can bear. The question uh, that we ask in our suffering is this question, why? And Job's asking this question as well. But fortunately, he's got good friends who want to offer an explanation to him about why. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to the book of Job. You know where Psalms is near the middle? It's right before that. The book of uh, Job is where I want to read from this morning. This is Job chapter 4. And his buddy Eliphaz is the first one to speak up, to answer this question, trying to give an explanation for the suffering that's going on in Job's life. This is Job 4, beginning in verse 7. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. So Eliphaz, his buddy, gives this explanation and says, well, Job, it's pretty clear what's going on here because we know that evil... And suffering happens to those who do wrong. So you must have done something wrong. Let's be clear about how this works. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And Job goes, I I don't agree with you, Eliphaz. I don't think I've done anything wrong. And so back and forth, there's this conversation between Job's friends. His other friends say the same thing. They come in and try to explain what's going on. And they say, look, if you'll just confess what you've done, then maybe God will restore your fortunes back to you. Maybe God will forgive you of this sin that you've done. And, And it He he continues to refuse to believe that he's done anything wrong in this situation. And Scripture actually tells us that he was blameless. But if only all of us had a friend like Job in a situation of suffering, right? Great friends. Some of us have had friends like Job had. We've been in the midst of suffering. Some of you have been through some difficult things this year. And there have been people who've walked in beside you hoping to comfort you, but what they did in the midst of it was inflict more pain on you in that situation. They tried to explain why that suffering was happening in your life. And if you don't have friends like that, you can pay people who will give you explanations like that. My senior year of high school, I was uh, right before my senior year, I was preparing for the football season ahead at Dallas Christian High School. I was going to be the strong safety that year. I was excited. I'd been uh, you know, working out, which y'all know I work out by looking at me, right? But uh, I was working out. I was getting ready in terms of cardio and all this. And we're going to football camp. And football camp was this experience of a week-long training uh, away from campus. We all went and stayed at a campsite. And we had two days every single day. And so I thought I was prepared going in. But the first workout of the first day of football camp, I can tell it's not going well. And I'm wondering, what did I do wrong? I thought I was prepared for this. Well, after that practice, I actually had to go home. And I got uh, a diagnosis from a doctor who said I had mono. And this was devastating. You know, I was, uh, this was my senior year of football. I'm so excited about this. I've done all this preparation. And I'm thinking probably my, my, my season's wiped out. There was a, another thing that was an issue though. And that was, I had a girlfriend at the time named Holly. And uh, mono has another name, the kissing disease. So I'm dreading this phone call to Holly thinking she's going to break up with me. Unfortunately, she lived in a doctor's family, so she knew that there were other reasons. She correctly assumed I hadn't been kissing other girls, and, and so she stayed with me. And now that girl, Holly, is my wife, and so I'm grateful for that. But I remember in that season thinking, God, why is this happening to me? I've been training. I was preparing for this moment. I was excited about the season ahead. And at that time, my mom was on a real homeopathic kick. Um, and so she decided instead of the MD route, we're going to go find a, a, a natural medicine doctor. So we did, and, and it was an interesting experience. I want to tell you about that experience today. I went in and he did these, these tests and all that, and after all the tests had come back, he came back and he reported on all these diseases that I had stored up in my body that I was either a carrier of that was supposed to come up at some time in my life. Or, and, and so the mono, of course, came up, but there were other diseases. In fact, one that was a big surprise was chlamydia, of all things. I hadn't been sexually active at this point, so I had some questions for the doctor, or doctor, I should say. And so uh, he, he said, well, actually, we can track this by looking at the scientific reports I have here on this. And so he actually tracked it back. And my mom's sitting with me in the room, kind of wondering what's going on, right, and that awkward situation. And, and, and he says, actually, this comes from your maternal great-great-grandfather. Amazing software. He's able to figure this out. And so my mom, of course, has her jaw dropped, like, what's this about? The doctor said, well, did your great-grandfather actually serve in World War I in Europe? And my my mom said, yeah, he did. And he said, well, chances are he probably slept with a prostitute when he was over there. Really? <laughs> and my mom's over here with tears just you know, soaking this up. She's a little gullible. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, how does this guy make a living making these kind of pronouncements? You can pay people to give you explanations for your suffering. I've seen it done. In fact, he, he gave some prescriptions, some stuff. I don't know what I was ingesting exactly. But one of the things he said is, for the next week, I need you to take home these clear plastic bottles and drink what's in there. I said, well, what's in there, doctor? And he said, "Uh, turkey water. Like, turkeys? Or he said, no, from the country of Turkey. It's been imported in. You'll want to drink this and you'll be surprised what will happen. So I milked this for all it was worth. I brown bagged that thing and took it to school the next day. And my mom gave a note, and so the teachers had to, like, go through it. This is Dallas Christian High School, right? But anyway, I'm glad to report I was actually able to play through half the season. So suffering's hard to explain, but sometimes healing is just as hard to explain. But I'll tell you, there are people in our lives, that's a funny story, but there are people in our lives that give us explanations for the suffering that goes on, aren't there? Sometimes they're positive expectations, most of the time they're really hard expectations fact, uh, one of my good friends is a preacher in the Memphis area. His name is Josh. He's written a book called Scarred Faith that talks about the story of his sister uh, passing away and the difficulty that was on his faith journey. If you're walking through suffering, Scarred Faith, it's a book I encourage you to pick up. But Josh tells the story about all that went wrong with his sister and, and this surprise death that happened in their family. He talked about the different expl- explanations that came as a result of people trying to comfort the family in this difficult season. And trying to stand up for God in the midst of it and causing more trouble. Maybe you've had things like this said to you. These were some of the statements that people said trying to help or trying to explain. Well, God just needed another angel. God needed Jenny more than we did. Just be happy. She's in a better place. Were you really close to her? You rarely mentioned her in your sermons. God was protecting her from something that was going to happen later in life. And finally, if Jenny had a decision to come back right now, she wouldn't want to. And some of you can remember specific moments where you've been in suffering and people have tried to come and offer support really in their own kind of anxiety. They're trying to defend God in some ways and make sure we don't lose our faith in God. But what it does is it wounds in ways that they would never imagine the words they bring. And this is a word for us who walk through difficulties with others. Sometimes it's more important, not the words you say, but the presence you give in these moments. And I want to tell you, if if you feel the need to defend God in moments like these, let me remind you, God doesn't need a defense attorney. He's big enough to handle uh, this on his own. And it doesn't mean we don't come to reasons why things happen in our lives. We all have to come to a narrative of sorts to kind of explain our lives. But we have to be careful that we're not hurting people in the process of trying to defend a God who's big enough to take it himself. In fact, the Psalms, there's accusation after accusation. Where are you, God? And God seems to be up to the challenge. Okay with us expressing that. But It's natural to want explanations for our suffering, but the more I think about it, the less convinced I am that the very thing we think we need most, the answer to the why question, will actually provide the comfort that we think it promises. But Imagine a world where God says, okay, you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Imagine a world where God actually inflicts harm and pain in people's lives because of things they've done. Uh, would it help you, for instance, to know that you lost a job because back in second grade you? bullied Richard on the school playground? Does that help you to come to that explanation? Or if you have some difficult diagnosis in your life, would it help if God came along and said, I'll tell you why this happened. You cheated on your taxes from 1993 to 2005. I mean, we think that somehow uh, an answer to the why question will help us, but I don't think that actually helps us or comforts us at all. So what is it that helps us in our suffering? Which is the perfect segue into a conversation about Jewish mourning practices that I know you were all wondering about this morning. It's a practice uh, that they've been doing for centuries called sitting Shiva. Sitting Shiva is this practice where when someone loses a loved one, the Jewish community surrounds them, comes into their home, and sits with them without saying a word unless a word's needed uh, to respond out of love. And they sit with them and they bring food to them for seven days, They sit beside them in the midst of their mourning and in their grief. Which maybe is a practice we should learn to take up as well because it seems like we're so quick to respond and give words rather than comfort in these situations. And what's interesting is in the book of Job, we see this practice, sitting Shiva, happen when it comes to Job. We read the explanation of what Eliphaz says, but before Eliphaz ever says a word, he actually sits with Job in a suffering, and it's a far better moment. Let's read this. Uh, This is Job chapter 2. Verse 11, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days seven nights, no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. See, as long as Job's friends are sitting shiva with him, everything goes great. But the moment they open their mouths, they begin to inflict this harm on Job. It's dangerous when we as the friends of grievers try to do theology in moments of suffering rather than just being theology in moments of suffering standing beside people and showing our presence instead of trying to offer these defenses for God in the midst of these moments. Which brings us back to the first verse you ever memorized. John eleven 35, wasn't it? Okay, you may have memorized a different one, but if you ever gotten a, a, a catch where you had to memorize a, a passage quickly, this was the one, Jesus wept. I remember memorizing this one early on. Yet I never knew the context of this passage until later on. I began to look at it, and I realized this is Jesus uh, in a story about his friend Lazarus who had died. You remember the story? He's on his way to Bethany. He doesn't get there fast enough, and Lazarus ends up passing away, and Martha takes him to task when he gets there. She believes that if Jesus had showed up, that, that Lazarus would have been healed. He wouldn't have died, and it's incredible faith, but she takes him to task, and and following that moment, it says these words, Jesus wept, which begs a question in my mind. Because if you know the end of the story, you know that Lazarus ends up being raised from the dead. So why in the world if Jesus knows he's about to fix this situation, does he feel the need to weep beside those who weep in this situation? I mean, if you know you're going to have a hard situation going on in your life, and you know it's going to be fixed, is there a reason for tears in that moment? Here's why I think, That happens. No one wants our solutions if he or she doesn't have our solidarity. No one wants our solutions until they know that we're standing beside them in the midst of the suffering and the grief of their lives. And how many of us, if we think back on our lives to those difficult moments, maybe when a a parent passed away or, or, or maybe a child passed away or we were in a difficult relationship that ended up going away from us in some difficult way, How many of us in those moments, especially in those hospital moments, you remember every single face that showed up at the hospital, don't you? You remember the people almost one by one at the funeral that showed up later on. You remember the ones that sent flowers. There's something about people who sit with us in our suffering that we tend to remember we're grateful for. Same is true, though, when people speak words that are harsh words in those moments. We never seem to forget it, do we? And I want to be counted among those in those moments who stand beside those who are in their suffering, who sit beside them as difficult as it is to want to say something and try to clean it up and try to fix it in the moment. We tend to want to do this, but what people need most in those moments is they need someone to show them solidarity, to stand beside them. We want to know we're not alone in our times of greatest suffering and grief. And this is the power of the cross. The power of these first two symbols in the series is about Jesus coming to earth, experiencing all that we experience, and then the cross, the fact that he suffers on our behalf. I love the way Ian Cron, an author, puts this. Christianity is unique among the religions of the world in its assertion that God's answer to those who mourn is neither a sermon nor an academic treatise, but a person, namely Jesus. We are sustained by the belief that God has punched a hole in the roof of the world and inserted himself in the human drama. Opting to suffer as we suffer in our pain. We demand in, in our pain, we demand answers. And heaven gently replies, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. See, relief is not found in an explanation. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus Christ. And he understands your grief. God, the Father, understands your grief. He, he sat there as Jesus felt betrayed by his own father. He felt alone. I love the way the writer of Hebrews also talks about this. This is Hebrews chapter 4, a vital passage for us understanding how we come to the Father in prayer together. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And the verse that follows says, Let us then approach the throne with confidence. The reason Jesus is able to be our advocate in every way that's the best way is he knows what we go through. He understands the temptations. He wept beside Mary and Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so if you think when you bring your troubles to God, his response is, why are you worried about this? It's important for us to look back at the story of Jesus. He shows his solidarity before he ever steps in and tries to heal anything. I think that's important for us to see is we can step in with confidence in our relationship with God. He's the one who weeps beside us. In these moments where difficulty comes, he's not the one inflicting pain. He's the one that's weeping beside those who mourn. And there's no other God like this in in the other world religions. In the other world religions, it's these gods who are far off, not ones who decide to come to earth themselves. They don't understand. In fact, they look down on humans in many of the stories. The story of Christianity is very different. It tells the story about a God who comes and suffers beside us. A God who's willing to do that on our behalf. And isn't that what we all want? To know that in our greatest moments of pain and suffering and mourning, that we have a God who stands beside us. Not in judgment over us, but in love on the cross with his arms extended to show us the full extent of his love. There's some in the world that believe that I want to read this one quote before I go there. Uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff said th- these words, instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. And I don't know about you, but for me, there are days when I I don't need a God to deliver me from the pit as much as I think that I want him to. I need a God who's actually going to climb in the pit with me. Not who's going to stand far off and wait for me to climb the rope up to heaven, but who sends his son down so that he takes care of what I can't possibly take care of on my own. Because the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. Me too. To know that someone else in our suffering or in our sin has experienced the same thing and has walked out the other side, has grown through the difficulty. It's the most important words we could possibly hear. And if right now you're walking through some difficulty or you're suffering or grief, I want to tell you on the other side of that, once healing comes, there's going to come a day where you're going to get to say those words to someone who needs them most. I've been through this too. And the cross is God's way of doing just that, isn't it? Jesus is able to say, I've experienced it. I know what it's like. I've been tempted in every way. I understand. I know what it means to weep beside a friend who's been lost. God himself knows what it means to walk through that. So some believe that God causes all the pain in the world, that every time there's a tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake that devastates a city, it doesn't take long for a preacher to come out and say what? Well, I know why it happened. It happened because these people did this. And those sound bites don't comfort. They may explain way above the guy's pay grade, but it doesn't bring comfort. And I don't believe in that God. I believe in a God who stoops low and who suffers beside us. I believe in a God who most clearly says on the cross, me too. Because in the end, I don't need an answer for why. I need a who who's going to stand beside me in those moments. If Jesus died on the cross, and maybe today that's what you're needing most. Is you need a God who's going to stand beside you. But it's not just a God. You need a community of people that are going to walk beside you in these difficult moments. You need people in this church that you're going to share your story and say, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And on the other side, they don't respond in judgment. They respond saying, me too, I've been there. You're walking through this. I'm going to walk with you through it because I know what it's like. I'm not going to offer explanation. I'm going to sit beside you. We're going to work through this together. Maybe this morning you need somebody to walk beside you. You need a me too from someone. There's lots of people this morning that could offer that to you. So maybe it is a prayer time. You want to leave today and find some of our prayer partners and and, and, and walk beside them and ask them what they did in certain situations. I know those have been the most powerful words in my life. Because when I expected judgment, what I got instead was, I've been there. I, trust me, God's going to get you through this. And I think that's what the cross says to us most, church. God's got this. The, the, the war's already won. There's battles along the way that are going to look like they're being lost. But in the end, the war has been won. And so this week, We walk into Friday to experience this suffering. A God who says, me too. And this is more encouraging than I ever imagined before. This series has been such an encouragement to me. God's with us in the midst of this. He's defeated death. We're no longer slaves to the fear of death. But Sunday's coming, church. And I'm excited next week to share with you as we celebrate that together. But let's not get to Sunday without walking into Friday, okay? Let's not forget this me too experience that God shares with us in our humanity. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, I thank you so much for for Jesus. I thank you for uh, his willingness not to just stand far off from us and look down on us, but a God who's willing to stand beside us, to weep beside us, to say, me too. We thank you for the cross and what it means. So God, help us not take that for granted. Help us not use the cross just to get eternal life, but help us to realize that we bear this cross as well on behalf of the world. God, we're sorry for the times that we've offered explanations that have not spoken well of you sorry for the pain we've inflicted on people when we've just tried to help. God, for those of us who've received some words that we have been keeping a record of wrongs, we, we want to let that go today, God. We don't want to hold on to it. So God, would you continue to sit with us? Would you allow us to sit with others? And We, we trust uh, in the resurrection that we get to celebrate in the week to come. Thank you, God. Thank you that we can live without fear of death. Thank you that even death itself is just a rest waiting on your future.